Good evening. It's so nice to be here tonight. Even though it's chilly out, I like that. We like, we like November up north. We also like November in Florida. We like November here. We haven't gotten to the point in uh, our um, Cedra readings that we've made it to Joseph yet, correct? Not quite yet. But he's coming up in a couple weeks, I believe. And Genesis is one of my favorite books of all time. And um, the reason why Genesis has a worldwide appeal, why do I say that? Well, it's not just because Christians and Jews and Muslims uh, appreciate it as far as being a, a part of their um, scripture, but also the scenarios, the family scenarios that we see in there, the uh, multiple wives scenarios, the multiple kids from multiple wives, the stepkids, the kids who, you're not my father, so you can't tell me what to do, kids. Um, uh, one of my favorite people at our congregation, an older woman, uh, said that our families today are more like they were in the book of Genesis than they ever have been in the past. And I think she has a point. And so um, about, I'd say 15 years ago, PBS had a five-week series where they discussed the book of Genesis and they had people from all kinds of religious backgrounds talking about these stories that um, most of us learned when we were wee tots. But after we leave uh, Shabbat school or Sunday school, however you learned about uh, the patriarchs and the matriarchs, we sort of don't study them or we don't read them because we think we know their story. And so this is merely to look at these things now, possibly with new eyes, or maybe you have your same old eyes, but by asking different questions. And the questions that I'm going to be asking tonight are going to be concentrating on what is actually said in the text. When you put your finger on the words, the story of Joseph, what is actually told you there and what isn't mentioned at all in the text? But what do people yammer on and on about, not from your pulpit, I'm sure, not your pulpit, but I don't know, other, Montana, I don't know where they're doing this, but they are. Um, I apologize if you're from Montana or North, North Dakota or something. But in those places, I think in both synagogues and churches, we, there's an attitude given from the front, from the leadership, that, that um, Joseph is somebody you wouldn't like. He's not likable, he's icky, He's horrible. He's mean to his brothers. And I would say um, he's second in uh, amount of abuse from, from sermons, from Sunday school lessons. He's only second to, to Jacob. In case you haven't figured it out, Jacob is tremendously abused in public and blamed for a thousand different things. And then things are, refer well, well, no wonder they act like that. Look at their father, Jacob. But we don't have time to get into Jacob. It takes my husband about three different uh, class sessions to go through what does Jacob actually do and why did he do that? We don't have time. But I think we do have time to talk about Joseph because he's also maligned, I think, unfairly in average everyday teaching. Um, there's something special about the patriarchs and the matriarchs. Would you, not, would you not say that's true? God chose these people. 
he honored these people, these men and women. Obviously, there was a point to him choosing them because along the way, there were lots of other people he could have chosen, even relatives he could have chosen. But he chose these specific people. And for us nowadays, who are trying to read and understand these stories, it's really important for us to put our fingers on the words and not be prejudiced by other people's opinions. Is that fair enough? Okay, hope to do that. Now, if we were to say, what's the first thing that you can think, if I say the name Joseph, what do you, what do you remember him for? And your first word is going to be Egypt. Yes, Egypt. I don't know how often you've gone to um, Google Images, and you happen to type in uh, Joseph, son of Jacob, to see what, if anything, is there. And it's only pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of pictures of Joseph. And the predominantly uh, important thing in those pictures of whatever they're doing for Joseph is that coat. That coat. And we're going to look at that coat as only part of the story. In Sunday school and Shabbat school classes, usually the kids are taught about that coat, aren't they? That's a big deal. And they make crafts or they make things. Also, have any of you ever seen in any of its versions the, the Broadway musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? How many have seen that or have heard of it? Oh, it's worth seeing. You can get videos of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which is not only was it brought to Broadway and starred as a narrator, the narrator, Donny Osmond. See, now you're already looking forward to seeing that, aren't you? <laughs> um, but Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote this musical for his church when he was a little more than a teenager. And the, the original music started in that church presentation of the life of Joseph. And it is peppy, it is fun, and yet it still has a pretty biblical message in there. It's quite interesting. I'll only tell you this. Um, when Pharaoh appears on the scene, the song, the main song he sings when he appears, is done in the style of Elvis Presley. So now you really want to see that, don't you? Yeah. And it is lighthearted, but of course the coat is one of the major stars, this coat. And um, you'll see a lot of the pictures of the coat if you Google uh, uh, Joseph, son of Jacob. But that coat leads to problems. So let's see about Joseph and what our opinion might be of him. Um, how do we see Joseph? How do you see Joseph? Do you remember the story of him and his coat and his brothers? Does he give you the impression of being obnoxious because of that coat? Does he give you the impression of being, oh, I don't know, spoiled because nobody else got the coat, correct? Who gave him the coat? His dad, Jacob. Mm -hmm. And did the other guys get a coat? No, not as far as we know. Here's what we do know. They hated it, didn't they? It says in the Bible, they hated him and they hated this coat. He seems holier than thou, sort of. This is usually what we hear about Jacob at this age. And as an adult, well, at the end, he turns out great, doesn't he? He turns out fabulous. He's, he's unlearned all those bad things that he used to be like as a teenager. 
he, he, he really is generous. He's a very generous guy. And without Joseph's intervention, actually, they came down. Remember, they came down from Canaan. Um, the rest of the family came down to beg because famine was there and was coming even worse. And without Joseph, they would have all died, correct? Sometimes people forget that part of the good things that he did. But there's that whole interplay with his brothers at the end. Interesting. And there's some trickery involved. Do you remember those stories? Or maybe you didn't read those stories, but you should go back and read. They're, they'd be at um, uh, 49 and 50. So the brothers are going to go back and get dad, but they don't know this is their brother, but he does. And there's something going on with he hides money in, he has money hidden in there, the, the, uh, their donkey caravan, and then he has a a, a silver cup he wants to have hidden in Benjamin's, uh, the, in, in the wheat that he's taking back to Canaan. What's up with that? What's up with that? Well, he's very interesting. Now, in this picture, so I grabbed some pictures off of uh, uh, Google Images, and if it was clear, I had to like, you know how you have to manipulate, you have this much space, and then you have to manipulate the picture, that's what, so if it looks fuzzy to you, it is fuzzy because it doesn't quite fit. But you can see there on the upper left, sort of he's looking at his brothers who don't know that that's his brothers. And on the right, uh, it's his brothers again, but I'm not 100% sure. And in the background, you see the stars because his dreams have to do with the stars and, and, the, and the heavens, don't they? Uh, he had very significant dreams. So this would be, I think, the normal way we would look at Joseph. Oh, you know, he had problems in the past. He, he was a tough character, but he was just spoiled by Jacob, who should have known better, really, you know. Shouldn't Jacob have known better than to spoil one child and not pay attention to the others? Would you say that's fair to say? Yes, I would say that too. And then as adult, well, it's okay. It all ended up fine, except for this trickery thing. We'll get back to that. All right, so these are, obviously, this is from, like, I don't know, I'm guessing a Shabbat school uh, uh, book that you might use. Look at the one brother. It's like stripey hat. That's really amazing, isn't it, really? And here, you can't even see how cool his striped coat is, can you? Because the other guys have big, fat stripes, and he does, too. What was his position? What was Joseph's position in this big family? Was he the oldest? No. Was he the... No. Nah. But it depends on how old. My understanding is he was about 10 years old when his brother Benjamin was born. So uh, in this part of our story, Benjamin would have still been a, like a toddler, a little kid, and not assigned to go out and look at the sheep uh, per his father's instructions. So his position is not the oldest. His mother is where? She's gone, right? She's gone. And where is she buried? Where is Rachel buried? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. You could go and see her, gra her grave. There is a building there. It's probably on a similar spot, right outside of Bethlehem. You have to go through the, uh, the um, soldiers at the border. But Rachel's grave is there, um, outside of Bethlehem. So who brought him up, you're asking? Well, Dad. And by the way, who was Rachel among the wives? The favorite, wasn't she? She was his favorite. And everyone 
knew it, including her sister, Leah. Yes, Sister Leah knew it. Everybody knew it. Then you have uh, the sons and daughters of concubines. They knew who was his favorite. It was Rachel, correct? And But does, Jake, does um, Joseph really have a mom figure? Well, it's not told to us. Um, even I don't think in rabbinic sources, although I did uh, read somewhere in my research that they said that one of the concubines did sort of adopt Joseph and take care of him. But somebody would definitely have had to raise baby Benjamin, wouldn't they? He wouldn't have been uh, old enough to take care of himself by any means. But basically, Joseph's alone. He's been raised alone. He's not in the club with all the other brothers. He's a lot younger than them. But once again, mom was dad's favorite. So his upbringing was a little strange when we stopped to think about it, wasn't it? Very strange. Remember, they had a big, giant extended family and all the tents all over. And you can't yell at me because your mom, your mom can't yell at me because she's not my real mother. The same kind of thing we hear in modern blended families nowadays, correct? I don't know, I'm guessing, but I, I understand that people who, you know, we have your kids and, and my kids, and then we get them together, and we, then we have our own kids, and so now it's very nice, and it's wonderful when it works, isn't it? To have kids being raised in a happy family, that would be the, op, that'd be the optimal, but this is a complicated situation, isn't it? A little bit, all right. He does have favored status. How do we know? How do you and I know he has favorite status? Well, yeah, that comes at, there's one, there's one, um, there's something that's part of a chemical reaction that is not part of the reaction, but it causes the reaction to happen, science majors. The catalyst. There's one event that is the catalyst to uncovering what the brothers really feel about Joseph, and what would that catalyst be? Excuse me? Well, he, I think this comes just before the dream. The dream adds on top of this catalyst. That coat, that coat. It's, even if Joseph stops talking, that coat speaks for him, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, his brothers, they're just bright and shining examples of young Jewish men. They're just the fabulous group of well-adjusted young men that you would hope for in this world of the Bible. No, 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 not so much. And part of the problem, I think you would, you would agree with me, is we almost know too much about them, don't we? If you just met them and they, oh, shake your hand, you're very nice. But when you hear about some of the stuff that they're doing, that's one thing I love about the book of Genesis. These are not saints. Every single key character in Genesis pulls some fast tricks. Every single one. There isn't one that doesn't have some kind of conniving, some kind of trick, some kind of fooling people, some kind of sublegal way of getting what they want. There's even a couple of women who get what they want. And we'll talk about why that's so too. You would not turn to Genesis to find out ways in which to conduct your life nowadays. You're not going to find it there. These are real people, and they have real things that they want. Oh, I, I can't imagine it's at all like us, because none of us want things, you know, and, and situations in, in our lives to go really, really well. And so we might consider doing a few things and seeing how they worked out. 
Would that be true about Pete, you or people you know? It's okay, you can nod because I'm nodding. So this is one picture of uh, Jacob with his coat. And obviously he's showing his brothers. And you see, you can't see their faces very well, but the one brother is going like... And he looks, notice how young he looks here. And this is another part of how do you see him during this time period? Do you see him as a kid? Do you see him as a young man? It varies depending on which artist you're looking at. Here's, there must be 55 renderings of the coat and 25 extra that are costumes when somebody performed Joseph and the Amazing Technical or Dream Coat, plus uh, five or 10 different uh, crafts that children can do about make Joseph's dream coat in, in your class and you color these in and do a mosaic, it's great. Now these are two different pictures. Um, on the left, he's a younger man. He's what you would call a youth and um, his dad is older. And then in the background, you see once again, the brothers are going. But on the right, this is also Joseph. And notice his coat is beautiful. However, look at his face. He's older, isn't he? And is he happy here? He's not really happy. Did you ever think about there being a difference as to what he might, how old he might have been at this point or, or what he might have looked like? Or do we really know what Joseph was thinking at all in his story? I would say we don't know what Joseph was thinking. If we do know, guess who we, we put our own thoughts. I bet he thinks this, depending on how he strikes you. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this is that coat, the catalyst. All right. So dad gives him the coat. We don't know when or where dad gave him the coat. Did he give, get, did he give him the coat in public so everybody saw it? Did he give him the coat in private? and then say, you need to wear this every day because this is a special coat and I had it made it for you. We don't know. It doesn't say in the text when and where he was given the coat. Well, doggone it, what does it say then? Um, let's go back to the beginning of his story and see what it actually says. So it begins in Genesis 37, if you've got your Bibles. If you didn't, I will probably read most of what you need to know. Now, Jacob lived in the, I'm on 37 verse 1, Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, the land of Canaan, and these are the records of the, of the generations of Jacob, okay? Joseph, oh, 17 years old, it says, so is it 17, he really looks like a teenager, or it's 17 and he's way mature, don't know, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, so in other words, he was still an intern, let's say an intern, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report of them to their father. And then it pauses to explain, verse 3, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. Interesting. And he made him a very colored tunic. That's what's in my version. We don't even know how to translate what he gave him. A lot of people, a lot of versions say it's an ornate robe. It's an ornate robe. So I read various opinions. It could be that it had very, very long sleeves and everybody else tended to wear a vest 
like robe. It could be a floor-length uh, robe as opposed to a shorter robe. It could be, there's no colors that are mentioned in the Hebrew, but some of these um, inklings that we, we get about what it was like come from the Septuagint translation, uh, you know, back about 350 BCE, um, and er other early people who think they know what the nature of uh, uh, Joseph's special cloak is, or, or his coat, or his ornate robe, or whatever version you want to say. The point being, we don't know. It's, this word is only mentioned one other time, and it's about a piece of clothing uh, in Tamar's, who's David's daughter. It's not an important vocabulary word, so we'll do our best. And it's usually called the coat of many colors, correct? So um, he made him a very colored tunic. The brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. What would you have told Joseph to do? Would you have told Joseph, don't wear that robe? Your brothers are going to resent you for it. They will, they're not going to take you seriously. They're only going to resent you and take you and be jealous. Well, you, maybe you would tell him that. Well, suppose dad gave it to him at a big party. Very proud. Here you go, son. This is, this is your special robe. So everybody sees you can't keep it a secret. I don't know. Maybe that's the way it happened. And so they couldn't help but see it. What would you have told Joseph to do to make things better? What would you have said? Keep quiet and keep it secret. Oh, uh, we can't keep it secret now. Well, just don't talk about it. Yeah, but dad maybe told him to wear it every day. So that's enough in and of itself. We don't know that part of the story. Here's what we do know. The brothers hated him. Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream, which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. So us. We were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also, and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brothers said, great, that sounds wonderful. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> his brothers said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams than for his words. They're doubling down on this. And it seems like they're all in agreement, basically. Now he's had still another dream. I'm not skipping anything. He had still another dream and it related to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the and 11 stars were bowing down before me. He related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father, remember, his father, who loved him best, said, well done, son. I'm glad to see God's working in your life. Oh, no. No, that's not what Jacob said. His father rebuked him. Oh, oh you have to be really bad for dad to do that. And said to him, what is this dream you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? That's not a well done kid from dad, is it? He's shocked. His brothers were jealous of Joseph, but his father kept what he said in his mind. So 
Jacob did not forget these dreams and what they meant. Has, Jake, has uh, Joseph done anything that we would label sin here? No, we might call him naive. We might call him like not aware of how people are going to respond to you if you're, but I don't think he's done anything sinful, and yet everybody, dad's even upset with him, not much less his brothers. We don't even know what the mothers think of him, but this is about the brothers. 12, then his brothers went to pasture in their father's flock in Shechem, Israel. Jacob says to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. Then uh, Jacob said to him, go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, Hebron, and uh, he came to Shechem, Shechem, right? A man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. So he doesn't know where he's going, does he? He has no clue where he's going. What are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing our flock. Then the man said, they have moved from here. For I heard them say, let us go down to, in Alabama, this is Dothan, but it's Dothan. So they've gone to another pasture, and the pasture is Dotan. This is all up in um, uh, north of the Jezreel Valley, north of uh, the Valley of Armageddon, so almost to Galilee. So they're pretty far away from Hebron at this point. Um, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dotan. Would you have recommended that Joseph go on this little excursion, even though Dad told him to? Remember how the story was introduced. Jacob sent him, Joseph, to his brothers to bring back a report. It was not a good report, is all it said. What would you have told him to do? You can't take that report. They'll kill you, and you would meet it as a metaphor. They'll hate you if you tell them. Now, was the report not true? It doesn't say it wasn't true. It just says it was a bad report. In other words... If you have kids, here's something I used to have to tell my kids. Nobody likes a tattletale. Did you ever have to tell your kids that? Mom, um, Sammy ate the last Cheerios, and now none of us have Cheerios, and that's not fair. Honey, go back and eat another kind of cereal. Mom, five minutes later, Sammy did this. Mom, Sammy did that. What do you say to your kids? Nobody likes a tattletale. This is not about what other people are doing. You just need to do what you need to do and be a good kid, and then we will deal with this later. But I don't want to hear all this bad report. We say this to our own kids. Do you see how this could be sounding like a tattletale incident? Dad told me to go and look, and I saw, and I'm telling, says Joseph. Would you have said? Don't tell. They'll hate you even more than you do. I don't know. That would be a question we should all have. For each other. All right. His father was not pleased. His brothers hated everything. Every single thing he did in our story, his brothers hated him more. All right. He shows up there in Dotan, and what do they have waiting for him? They have hatched a plan, haven't they? The brothers. And what do they want originally to do with him? They literally are going to kill him because they're sick and tired of him, aren't they? They're tired of his favorite status. They're tired of his dreams. 
They just really resent him to the nth. And yet they don't. They don't kill him. Why not? One brother says, we don't want to do that. That will not help anything. In fact, nowadays we might, might almost say, we'll make him a martyr. You don't want to make him a martyr because then, they, then the memory of them never goes away. So they decide to do what? They're going to keep him alive. They lower him down into an old cistern. Yes, there would have been a cistern there near Dotan. It would have been dry. It would have had a crack in it somewhere. And those make fantastic holding cells. In Jerusalem, they had broken cisterns, and you would lower the prisoner down into a holding cell prior to arraignment. I sound very 21st century, don't I? Um, prior to arraignment, they'd be in a cistern. They could breathe and whatever, but they couldn't get out unless you raise them up. Was this betrayal, betrayal avoidable? What should Joseph have done to avoid this? Who should have talked to him? Well, everybody and nobody. Well, you might be saying he should have known better. Why should he have known better? He's a kid. He's been sheltered and he's been pampered and he's been his dad's favorite. What would you have said to him? Toughen up, make some mistakes, be brave, say back off brothers, this is not my fault. What would you have said? What would you have told him? Now we come back to our position in this, the what we the readers are bringing to this story. There's going to be a striking difference between what you feel if you're the oldest kid in your family. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But oldest kids in the family have a different viewpoint than, say, the youngest kids in the family. Does that surprise you? So your birth order will sort of set you up for the way you feel about the situation. I'll give you some of your inner thoughts, shall I? Here's what the oldest kids would say. Hang, hang, hang. Oldest kids would say, uh, listen, I was the oldest. I, you know, somehow mom and dad left or weren't there for a minute, and I was in charge. I was in charge. And I had to stand there and tell them what to do. And they should listen to me because I'm the one who's in charge because I'm older. And how dare these younger kids snitch, snitch, I'm telling you, to dad to tell him what we're doing when we're over here by ourselves, we're older, we're, we're in charge. Uh, and, and how dare the same kid try to tell us he's going to be in charge of us? How dare dad like him best? Why doesn't he like the rest of us? We're working hard here, and that kid has everything given to him on a silver platter. I don't know if you're the oldest, but you might find a few of those things are ringing bells with you. I'm not the oldest in my family. I'm the youngest. And here's what I would say, if only I would have had a chance. It's okay for dad to choose whoever he wants. He's dad. He gets to choose whoever he wants. And furthermore, if my older brothers and sisters are bossy and they bully me when my parents aren't around, I don't have to listen to them, especially if they're telling me to do something that's wrong. How many people would identify with that feeling? Because trust me, I know you were all in one part of that situation. Middle children, I don't know what they're doing. They're on whosever side is paying them the most. I don't know. I don't know. You'd have, you'd have to ask my brother. I don't know what he was doing. But do you see how your attitude about what's going on here might differ depending on your personal perspective? Who has the power here and what 
what they should they be doing and what shouldn't they be doing. But you see, they both have points, don't they? They both are making good points. In short, our opinions of Joseph as a teenager probably say more about ourselves than they do about Joseph. As I said before, modern people can easily identify with many stories in Genesis because they're often rooted in these family attitudes and actions that are much like our own. The favoritism of parents, jealousy between brothers and sisters, and the selfishness of people who have unsatisfied expectations of their own. These all are part of life today, aren't they not? I think they are. What about Shalom Bait? You told them about Shalom Bait, yeah? Or you can figure out what it means. Peace at home. It's a big value in Judaism, isn't it? Peace at home. Having peace at home, important. In fact, you're supposed to give up a few of your rights in order to have peace at home. Every person in the family needs to think about creating peace and to avoid things that don't create peace in home. What would you have told Joseph to not do, to shut up about, in order to keep peace at home? Remember, he's gotten visions from God. He's gotten specific instructions and dreams from God. Would you be brave enough to say, shut up about those? This household is not ready to hear you. You need to be older. You need to gain more respect. Is any part of this situation what God perfectly wanted to happen? Was this an oops? This didn't go well. Could have, could have tightened it up here. Could have said something then. Might not have said something here. Is this what God wanted? I don't think anybody wanted this situation, and yet here we have it. And you can see that picture. That's from the 1800s. And you can see him, uh, Joseph, looking really young. I love this because it has the palm trees in the background. It has the well he just came out of, and it's got those camels there. I love this picture. And you can tell who it is even before you read the caption. So Joseph winds up in Egypt, and we're not going to go into great detail about Egypt because it goes on. Joseph's story is long. I mean, in this book, he takes up more than a third. And the other stories are pretty important, too. So he's got a long time for us to get to know him. Well, you have the unfortunate situation with Potiphar and Mrs. Potiphar. By, by the way, the, Potiphar is not a name, it's a title. So he's like a, a master steward of, of an estate. And, so, uh, and his wife, Mrs. Potiphar. And what happens in that situation? Was this Joseph's fault? Did he behave? No. In fact, he behaved unbelievably honor honorably. And he said, no, no, it's not right for me to sleep with somebody else's wife. And this is before the law was given. This is way before the Ten Commandments. How did he know that? Well, you think they might have known most of those principles before Moses ever wrote them down? I think maybe. But he knows, I should not do this. And what happens? God blesses him and makes him a great nation. No, he gets punished. He gets punished for it. He's sent to prison once again. Totally not fair. And he's find, people find out he's good at this dream thing, right? He has a relationship with it, uh, the cupbearer and the baker, I believe it is. And you hear about their situation and how he is of help to each of those people. And you see them there, and they're the ball, the Egyptians are the ball guys. And the Jew, I guess, has the uh, hair and the hair. Mm -hmm. And yet from prison, because he is helpful to Pharaoh, 
He's promoted, isn't he? He's promoted beyond his wildest dreams. He's raised to the second highest level in the kingdom. And seeing as how we should always remember that Pharaoh would probably never walk out and actually greet too many of the common unwashed people, he's the Pharaoh, to, the, the face of Pharaoh to, to the people in Egypt. And not just that, we find out they love him. They think a lot of him. They think he's great. And when his brothers need to come, they think that's great too. And when his father is brought down, when Jacob is brought down, they think he's great too because of what, the way Joseph was. Okay. And now the brothers come calling. They don't recognize Joseph, do they? I don't know if this has happened to you, but in, in a grocery store, if somebody comes up to me in a grocery store and they know me and I'm just going, I have no idea who this person is because it's not where I usually see them. Does that ever happen to you? No, Patrice, just you. You are the only person who has these problems. You can't put your finger on who these, this person is. I know they know me. How come I don't remember who they are? Ah! And then they'll say something that triggers you. Oh, hi. You're Jamie's, you're Jamie's mother. Hi. And meanwhile, I'm going, oh, I hope she didn't notice that I had no clue who she was. He's in disguise. They don't expect him, do they? And he doesn't let on, does he? How do you know the way he feels about his brother's coming? He cries, but he doesn't want to reveal himself, does he? Would you have wanted to reveal yourself to them? Would you have wanted to said, ha ha, now I've got you? A little part of my heart would want to do that, yeah. But he doesn't. But he doesn't want to tell them who he is because, once again, he doesn't trust these guys. And if they knew who he was, they wouldn't trust him either. But they're forced into trusting him, aren't they? They're forced into trying to get him to see, get this guy who's in charge of all the food in Egypt to look at them and be nice to them. For no reason, what's, he has no reason to do so. It's going to be up to him whether or not we're going to have enough food. However... And there he is. You can see this is, jo I love Joseph's headgear. I love that. And his uh, friend, uh, who you can tell is not Jewish in this picture. Uh, the uh, Egyptians at this time period, they didn't do beards. They were clean shaven. Um, and uh, you can see the, the Hebrews down here. They were still called Hebrews back then. They're all in their, you know, turbans and their, and their facial hair. And he's looking at them, but he, they don't know who he is, do they? They have no clue. Why does he do that to them? Why doesn't he come clean? It's, it's stated in the, in the rest of the story, he cries four different times. And so there's negotiation. And there's several trips back to Canaan. We're not going to get into the specifics. I'll let you read about the specifics. But as I mentioned before, some of it involves trickery, whereby at one point, Joseph said to a steward, put some money in their saddlebags and then we'll search them. Interesting. What is going on here? And then there's that whole thing about his brother, Benjamin. He asked specifically, is your father still alive? Oh yes, he's still alive. Well, does he have any children? Well, the, the, the oldest is now dead, but he has a younger son who still lives and he loves the younger son. I think that's one moment when Joseph goes off stage and cries. What's with the trickery? Why? It's interesting. We don't have time to go into why, but let's just reconsider. Every main character in the book of Genesis tries to pull fast ones. Abraham, 
Nobody ever blames Abraham. Oh, yeah, lied to Pharaoh a couple of times. Pharaoh has to call him out and say, how dare you, Abraham? I almost slept with your wife. Do you know what would have happened to me? The God of heaven would have killed me. How dare you, Abraham? We never preach on that. Why don't we ever preach on? They're all doing it. What are they doing? They're trying to do their best to make sure that God comes out on top. I think it's a normal human response. We want to make sure that the right people win the lottery as much as we have any power. If we have any power, we're just going to try to work that out because that's human nature. That's normal. And it happens throughout the book. It's not just Jacob. Even if it was Jacob, it isn't just him. That's one of the themes in Genesis. No matter how much manipulation there is, no matter how much certain people want things and certain people don't want things, there is no escaping God's will. He will make it happen. No matter how much people plot and plan and try to make it go their way, God will override all of them and his perfect will will be done. That's a big, big takeaway from the book of beginnings. It's good for all of us to remember. So his emotional response he can't even really talk to them very long without bursting into tears. Is he bitter about what happened? We don't know, but guess what? If you burst into tears, it's not because you're angry, I don't think, at this point. It's because this is hurting you. So this comes to Joseph the innocent sufferer. I hope that you've all heard. It's pretty common knowledge, for those of us in the Messianic movement, that the rabbis were bemused by the different descriptions of the Messiah in the scripture. They just couldn't put everything together. They couldn't put the suffering servant in Isaiah with the great and mighty son of David who ruled the world. They seemed to be two different people. It made no sense to them. And so their compromise was there was going to be two messiahs. There was going to be a suffering messiah, and he'd be called Messiah Ben Yosef, and there was going to become there was going to be coming a ruling Messiah, and he would be the Messiah Ben David, the Davidic Messiah and the and Joseph's Messiah, the innocent sufferer, the one who had no power to avoid something, versus David and his great power to do good things. Notice what Joseph says at the end of the book. And I love this because this is from the 1920s. This is like an Egyptian-sponsored, sort of an Egyptian idea. And notice he does look extremely Egyptian there in a 1920s sort of way. But I love it that you can't even see his face and his hair is all hanging down. In 50 verse 20, what is his final statement on this matter? Brothers, it's me, first of all. They can't believe it. They're horrified at first. It's a, I think it basically uses the word, they're horrified. Because now, uh-oh, he's going to call us into account for what we did to him. Should they feel guilty? Oh, yes. They should feel extremely guilty. They should be extremely afraid, right? It's their worst nightmare. The guy that they thought was dead is now alive and in charge. And is in charge of their food supply, in charge of their physical safety, in charge of everything about them. They should be very afraid. But what did he say? God meant it. It was God's intent for this to happen. It may not seem fair to many people. It may not seem just. It may not seem right. But it was God's intent. Now, 
But what we learn from his, even though they begun it, they began this with evil thoughts. The brother, the brothers began this whole scenario with evil thoughts and then evil actions. But God was able to ch change a curse into a blessing. And Joseph understands that. He understood it. Maybe from the beginning, he understood. It's an amazing story. And I see we're almost done. I don't know if you can see this. I love this picture. This is from the 1890s. And this is um, on the right-hand side in the white cloth. This is Joseph, and the, and the kid is Benjamin. And that's one of the brothers. In a very lovely, lovely thing that you, where you see how, how the, the newer covenant flows out of these stories in the older covenant. In Genesis 37, what does it say about Jacob when it said, when he heard what Joseph was saying that was outrageous about, you people are all going to bow down to me. By the way, did it come true? Oh, it stinking did. It stinking did, didn't it? So they can all take that back. They can all take it back, including Jacob, correct? It says he guarded. He didn't say anything, evidently, after that. He guarded it in his heart. If you turn to Luke 2, there's a very important woman with some strange things going on about her, and she saw some stuff, and it says she kept these things in her heart. And who was that? Miriam. This ter term to guard or to keep, they kept it here. They always remembered. It was always there. And to add the ice cream, a uh, uh, cherry on the top of the ice cream sundae, who does she end up marrying? A man named Joseph. Oh, I think that's a coincidence, don't you? Here's another coincidence. They need to be safe. And Joseph, what happens with Joseph? He had a tough road to hoe too, didn't he? He had a tough situation in his life to get through. Wasn't easy. What is he? What happens to him? He gets dreams. This Joseph in the New Covenant, he gets dreams, doesn't he? And what do his dreams tell him? Not that people are going to bow down. That's not what happened. Go to, oh, where? Egypt to be safe. What? Well, that's crazy. It's crazy. Who on earth would go to Egypt to be safe? Oh, well, the Jews back then. Yeah, they all went to Egypt. They all went to Egypt to be safe. And so does Joseph... Miriam's Joseph, go to Egypt with his family to protect them from Herod? He does. And there's that story of a Joseph who has dreams, who protects his family through super, supernatural circumstances, delivers them from death. Remember, the baby boys were all going to die. Has to keep them safe. Have to go to Egypt. And he believes those dreams. And Miriam keeps these things in her heart, just like Jacob. So dreams and return to Egypt are at the beginning of two Gospels, Matthew and Luke. So they want us to remember. They assume that we're going to remember the great story about Joseph, who had every opportunity to give some payback, and he chose to bless instead of curse. Let's pray. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King, we thank and praise you that we are able to serve you because it is a privilege to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We thank you for delivering these messages, these stories to us, so that we can glean wisdom from them, so that we can be encouraged, so they can give us peace, 
so that we, they can show us how to guide our steps. And Father, we're depending on you day by day to teach us. We're depending day by day to draw into our past the things that we've learned that are worthwhile and valuable to help us deal with our day-to-day -day problems. I pray that you would help each of us to walk closely in your footsteps. I would ask you that you would shine a bright spotlight on our, each of our paths, that we might know, be confident, that we are in walking in your ways. We thank you for this congregation and for us being able to encourage each other to continue to follow you. Thank you. B'Shem Yeshua, Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.